We're going to watch a video from Stephen Fry that I've recently come across. Let's take a look. We tend to set ourselves goals of, oh, if, if only I could live in that kind of a village in, you know, in the south of England, like a quite near a station and nice little house, but not too expensive. And then you get it. And so, yeah, you live in the suburbs. Hooray. Oh, maybe that car, that, that new mm. one there, that Tesla or whatever, then I'll be happy. You don't literally say, then I'll be happy, but there's a kind of sense of that's all I really want. And each of these goals is met, and it isn't it. The line of T.S. Eliot, that's not it. That's not it at all. And, and we go through life thinking, that's not it. There is something in all of us, a whole, a need for connection and love and truth and, and a sense of something beautiful beyond. You're never happy because of your status, because of things you've achieved. You, happiness comes from somewhere else. And of course, I've yet to meet anyone who can tell you where it comes from. So Stephen Fry is, uh, holds a special place in our hearts yeah. um, because he was formative in the creation of this channel. And before we tell you about that story, we're going to, let's just analyze what he said there. So what did you take away from that? So I, I can't disagree with most of what he said. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he talked about... Apart from the last line, maybe. Apart from that was right, right at the end. <laughs> and of course, there's nobody who could have told me possibly what the answer to that question was. <laughs> All right, okay, Stephen. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. I think the key point he's making is that um, he's coming... He's an, he's an older gentleman. I don't know how old he is. Let's just have a look at how it's fine, old... It's relevant. How old is he? No, it is relevant. He's 65 now, born in 57. So, I mean, he's... He's an older guy and he's kind of, I think this happens to a lot of people as they get older, that they start to realise that all of those things that they set themselves up for in life, all the achievements and the goals that they had for themselves, mm. none of them, despite having achieved them often, have actually brought them what they sought. Mm. Uh, and it's similar to what we discussed in our last live stream about the Love Songs and Age Philip Larkin poem. Yeah, um, I'm not going to go through that again. Mm -hmm. But um, the key point, I think, is that he, he's saying that we that the the hole in his heart has not been filled by his material uh, achievements, and you know Stephen Fry's material achievements are many. Hmm. I mean, he is one of the most recognisable faces in the Western world, and he has attained a status as rightly or wrongly as an intellectual hmm. um, and as a and as a comic and an actor and yeah. as a, a cultural icon for the Brits in particular. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's just really up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out absolutely. of all the people. Yeah. So, yet despite that, he's confessing before the camera there that none of that really brought him any uh, lasting contentment and peace of mind. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's, he talks about the hole in the heart and other people have called it a God-shaped hole. So if you remember our interview with David Belinsky, right. he made reference to the fact that there is a God-shaped hole um, I think I think he did in our interview, or he, if he didn't, he may have done it in a previous interview I watched of him. Yeah, he talks about the God-shaped hole, and he was quoting, in fact, someone else. Yeah, uh, as you can see, I've come very prepared with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but Stephen Fry doesn't want to say the word God. Yeah, you know, but he he gets as close as possible to saying God without saying God. Hmm. He says that we want something which is you know beautiful and uh, uh, perfect, which is beyond us, hmm. right? Which is and and in that expression, he's kind of talking of something which is transcendent. Yeah, right. Um, but what transcendent of what? Presumably material reality. Presumably hmm. 
everyday human experience hmm. presumably something which is absolute and fundamental to the universe not something which is incidental and contrived right so what you're saying is that he is he's recognizing that the worldly things which he has gained in abundance which he has achieved so well are not enough and he's thinking well if I've conquered the world in a way he has in his sphere, which yeah. is quite a lot, which is quite an expansive sphere. He has conquered that world, but that's not enough. So he's recognizing I need to go beyond the world, something beautiful beyond. But then he says, there is nothing that can, um, there's no one that I've met that can actually tell me that. He said, of course. Uh, yeah. And, and you can almost <laughs> tell there was an, I think, and this is speculation, but I think there was an element of self-deception there when he said that, even in the pause that he gave before that, it was a sense of, um, there was a sense that he was in denial of something. Well, the fact that he said, of course, is almost funny because... Um, she doth protest too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she, she doth protest too much. So he's almost like saying, oh, well, there's there, I, I'm, I'm boxed into a corner because nobody's been able to give me the answer, of course, right? Yeah. Um, which is almost like trying too hard to convince people that nobody's ever given him an answer to that question. Yeah. Now... Before we then dive into our answer to it, let's go to what Stephen Fry said about eight years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that, in a video that he did for the um, British Humanist Society. I think they renamed themselves later as Humanist UK. Um, and we'll see what Stephen Fry said at that point about the meaning of life and the purpose of life. Mm. And we'll see how far he's come. Let's have a look. How can I be happy? Some people believe that there is one single meaning of life. They think that the universe was created for a purpose and that human beings are part of some larger cosmic plan. They think our meaning comes from being part of this plan and is written into the universe waiting to be discovered. A humanist view of meaning in life is different. Humanists do not see that there is any obvious purpose to the universe, but that it is a natural phenomenon with no design behind it. Meaning is not something out there waiting to be discovered, but something that we create in our own lives. And although this vast and incredibly old universe was not created for us, all of us are connected to something bigger than ourselves, whether it is family and community, a tradition stretching into the past, an idea or cause looking forward to the future, or the beautiful wider natural world on which we were born and our species evolved. This way of thinking means that there is not just one big meaning of life, but that every person will have many different meanings in their life. Each one of us is unique, and our different personalities depend on a complex mixture of influences from our parents, our environment, and our connections. They change with experience and changing circumstances. There are no simple recipes for living that are applicable to all people. We have different tastes and preferences, different priorities and goals. One person may like drawing, walking in the woods and caring for their grandchildren. Another may like cooking, watching soap operas, savouring a favourite wine or a new food. We may find meaning through our family, our career, making a commitment to an artistic project or a political reform. In simple pleasures such as gardening, in hobbies, or in a thousand other ways, giving rein to our creativity or our curiosity, our intellectual capacities or our emotional life. 
The time to be happy is now, and the way to find meaning in life is to get on and live it as fully and as well as we can. So, I mean, they actually updated the animation from when we yeah. uh, responded to it uh, many years ago. Yeah. It so was all about us, I think. It was all because of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's why they updated this soulless animation. Um, so that was, you know, just to break down what he's saying there, he's very confident that you can have meaning and purpose in life from just based on your own kind of whims, priorities, interests, etc., etc. Maybe gardening. it's gardening, maybe it's sculpture. Yeah. Um, Soap operas. Maybe it's waving slightly like these animated heads do. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, you will find, you can find your purpose in that rather than cosmic design being, you know, woven into the fabric of the universe. It's I mean, actually just our whims. And if you follow your whims and your personal preferences, you can find your happiness basically that way. And and how do you how do you find that contrast in, in, a, in a fairly short period of time? <laughs> Ten years. Yeah, because, I mean, in the first video, he was pretty explicit that... Uh, it doesn't matter. He was like, well, it really doesn't matter what you do. You just end up miserable. Um, and, and you just end up at a place where... The contemporary video now. Yeah, in the yeah. contemporary video. The, so the first video we showed is like, well, yeah. it doesn't matter what you do. It, it seems to be the case. We all have a hole in our heart and it's always looking for something which is beautiful and extraordinary and, and transcendent. Hmm. And nothing we do, none of our status that we achieve, he mentioned, none of the amb ambitions that we have in our lives, none of them really fulfill that hole. Hmm. And it's, we're always left with a sense of longing and, and loss mm. and whereas in this video he's like well if you want to do gardening you 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 get that shovel out <laughs> yeah. um you know if you want to uh i don't know what was the other one sculpture soap operas political cause yeah i mean there's basically he was saying that there are a thousand different ways to be find your meaning depending on your interests in life yeah um and in the first video we show which is his later video actually He's saying that it doesn't matter what you do, you're always going to be miserable. Hmm. Um, so, so what do you think that says about his own journey then? I think it says, I mean, we were talking about the evolution of Stephen Fry. I mean, in a sense, I think, to be honest, I think Stephen Fry probably knew that he would be miserable, that he, they, these things don't satisfy when he made the humanist video. Essentially, yeah. You know, but the reality is he was pushing the party line on the humanist associations. Yeah, and front. atheism was, that was, you know, the new atheism was still in, in much stronger force back then. Yeah. And now there's this cultural shift towards recognizing that uh, taking meaninglessness as your meaning, um, surprisingly, is an unfruitful approach to life. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, they, they, you know, he says, oh, you can have meaning in doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. Really, what he was saying is there's, there's, there's almost an infinite number of ways you can distract yourself mm. from the question of your purpose in life. Yeah. That's actually what he's saying, which is that, and then as long as you can just, you know, keep on the hamster wheel of your particular interest mm. without looking out to the wider universe and asking yourself the big questions, you know, that you could just maybe just be struck down by a heart attack terribly one day and you won't even have to have considered the real serious questions. Mm. Um, and so that might be able to be you yeah. know, sufficient for your existence. And he began the uh, video from eight, ten years ago talking about essentially deriding, uh, yeah. not, not explicitly, but in a, in a way implicitly, the uh, religious perspective that yeah. design and purpose is, is uh, say, woven into the fabric of the universe and is something that is set for us, yeah. something which we have to discover rather than create. Um, and and what is that from? I, I guess this is we're going to be talking from the Islamic perspective, though. I think in many respects this is pretty pretty shared across yeah. uh, all the major religions. Uh, what is the, what is the Quranic take on this? So the Quranic take is is you know briefly, it's not something we discover even, hmm. but, you know, or recognize. The, the purpose of life is actually something we accept. Hmm. You know, because the Quran describes itself as a reminder 
Uh, and it's actually reminding you of what you already know, which he yeah, already explained in the first video, hmm. which is that he's looking for transcendent beauty. Hmm. You know, if you took the word to name God, I mean, that is most certainly one of the attributes of God he has described. Hmm. Transcendent beauty. Hmm. Um, you know, as the famous uh, saying in Islam goes, the Prophet Muhammad's peace be upon him said that Allah says, you know, Allah is, I am beautiful and I love thing, I love that which is beautiful. Allah is hmm. beautiful and loves that which is beautiful. Hmm. Um and so what, in a way, he's doing is he's showing that his worldview is fundamentally flawed, hmm. okay? And it's actually fundamentally false. Okay. Um, because if he has a, a worldview which limits him to a way of being which is fundamentally unsatisfying for human beings, then how can that worldview be posited as the sustainable and a sustainable answer for how people should live their lives. Yeah. At a fundamental level, if his way of looking at the world cannot fulfill human, the human soul, the human spirit, the human right. psyche, you might say, then how can we, how can the humanist association continue to have that video up once he said that? So what you're saying then is that his, him saying this now is testimony that the, that the atheistic humanist, uh, basically the atheist worldview cannot satisfy us and therefore is the the wrong is not how we are um it's not natural to us yeah right it's not intrinsic yeah you know the, the fact that we actually long for something should be evidence that there is something yeah it shouldn't be evidence that we're deluded yeah like to begin with the premise that our the natural and, and you know he talks about how um, every human being is unique and different. Well, if every human being is so unique and different, why is it that every human being has this feeling of nothingness? And this isn't exactly new, because and that's the kind of thing that surprised me was that, you know, he's saying something which has been known for thousands of years. Like all the kind of wise people in society have been people who've been saying, don't chase material, you know, design. even the Stoics, I'm sure he's very familiar with, you know, they, they spoke a lot about this, don't be trapped up in the world. And they weren't like super uh, spiritual or, or religious as such, although they had a, some, a degree of a lineage from Socrates, Prophet Socrates, as we believe he is, peace be upon him. Um, even they said, you know, don't be trapped by this. And all the wise people of every age said, don't be trapped. But he was, it's so strange that he's a kind of font of wisdom or seen as a font of wisdom, but he's, he's discovered this, but the way he spoke about it showed that he has real conviction because obviously it's his life of experience. Yeah. Um, but just going back to what you said about how the, there's still this longing. What does this tell you? This, this longing that we have for something beyond, what does it tell you? And is that, can you, I think we have a quote from, from the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Yeah. Maybe we could get that up on the screen. Can we get that on, up on the screen? That would be a good way of um, addressing yeah. it. Okay. We got it. Yeah, go for it. Okay, perfect. So, <coughs> so he says, um, I don't know where you've got it from starting. What's the first line you've got there? Of the natural. Okay, so yeah, he says, this is in the book Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, hmm. um, which is if anybody wanted to find out what the, what the teachings of Islam are uh, and the kind of underlying true spirit of Islam, this is the book to go to. Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam by um, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. Um, the promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi. And on page 80, there's a section called search for an exalted being. Hmm. And he says of the natural conditions of man is his search after an exalted being towards whom he has an inherent attraction. This is manifested by an infinite from infant from the moment of its birth. As soon as it is born, it displays a spiritual characteristic that it inclines towards its mother and is inspired by love of her. As its faculties are developed and its nature begins to display itself openly, this inherent 
quality is displayed more and more strongly. It finds no comfort except anywhere except in the lap of its mother. If it is separated from her and finds itself at a distance from her, its life becomes bitter. Heaps of bounties fail to beguile it away from its mother in whom all its joy is concentrated. It feels no joy apart from her. What then is the nature of the attraction which an infant feels so strongly towards its mother? It is the attraction which the true creator has implanted in the nature of man. The same attraction comes into play whenever a person feels love for another. It is a reflection of the attraction that is inherent in man's nature towards God, as if he is in search of something that he misses, the name of which he has forgotten, and which he seeks to find in one thing or another, which he takes up from time to time. A person's love of wealth or offspring or wife or his soul being attracted towards a musical voice are all indications of his search for the true beloved, as man cannot behold with his physical eyes the imperceptible being, who is latent like the quality of fire in everyone, but is hidden, nor can he discover through him through the exercise of imperfect reason he has been misled grievously in his search and has mistakenly assigned his position to others. Mm. So, I mean, that probably summarizes this issue... Mm. and gives the answer to it better than any human being has ever done so before you know that that the name of which he has forgotten is is a really uh almost like a life-changing description <laughs> yeah it is um and if you think about what the what Prophet <laughs> the founder of the Ahmadi muslim community is saying is that he's kind of pointing out that right from our birth we have a longing for something beyond us and perhaps as a child it's you know we our horizons are very um are very close to us so it goes to the mother and it goes but there's something a natural attraction something beyond yeah and you know what Stephen fry said he actually got to give to the guy he is articulate and insightful in many respects um and especially here in, in not insightful i mean he's insightful as to the problem and he's then insightful he... into the depths of his despair <laughs> and he's yeah. and he's placed his finger on it which is that he's looking for something beyond him yeah and this is what the promise i was talking about that there that we yeah. even as a child we recognize that there is something beyond and we want unity with it yeah um, and this is all a reflection of the ultimate, um, the one from whom we are, Yeah, you know, that is God, our creator, Yeah, who is much, you know, to whom we owe much greater allegiance than even our parents. And, that, and there's a lot to say about the second humanist video, we, the humanist video we, we watched and the first one still, which we haven't mentioned or touched upon. I mean, which comes to this particular issue, which is that he said at the end of the first video, he said, and of course, you know, I haven't found anybody to give me an answer to this. Hmm. But as you've very well pointed out, I mean, this is, this is, this is religion 101. Yeah. This is, this is belief in God 101, that the world will not satisfy you. Yeah. And that actually the search for God, who is that Iman, immanent yeah. transcendent being will. Um, so that's number one. Then the second thing is, you know, in the humanist video, um, he talked also about the fact that there's no evident design from the universe, mm. that they don't find any intrinsic purpose to the universe. Mm. Um, but this is, you know, a great manifestation of the fact that, you know, there's that verse of the Quran that I'm thinking of, which says, you know, we will surely show them signs around them and within themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the signs within himself. Yeah. And he's 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 failed to recognize the signs that are around him yeah. of the fine-tuning of the universe, the fact that the universe came from a state of nothingness, the fact that all the laws and constants of nature are finely tuned to an extraordinary degree, which I, nobody has to go into detail. Yeah. I mean, you know, Stephen Fry will know that better than, you know, most people. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that there are these extraordinary signs as to the intricate nature of the universe now clearly designed, not just life is, but the fundamental constants which permit 
a stable universe to exist. Yeah. Right. So, for example, to give a small, can you give any small example? Cosmological constant you could throw out, or well, there's tons. I mean, if gravity was stronger, the universe would collapse in itself too quickly. That stars and solar systems and therefore planets like ours wouldn't form. If gravity was weaker, then it would expand out so rapidly that you wouldn't have um, you wouldn't you wouldn't have stars any of forming. The stars forming, therefore you wouldn't have the higher elements. Uh, and there's a million of these. And the balance between those two is... Yeah, well, all of them, all of them, basically, especially if you take them together, they, they exist on a knife edge. Yeah. Um, so that's a really, really beautiful what you said there about, you know, the signs within yourself and the signs outside. Because the first the first video, in a sense, he denied the signs outside of himself. And the second video, the more recent one, he acknowledged that um, he is recognizing something of a sign within himself. Yeah. But whether he truly appreciates it is another question. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, maybe we can introduce Stephen Fry to uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and actually the author of the Quran, which is God himself. So what does the Quran say about what is our what is our purpose well, on this topic? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the Quran is pretty explicit. It doesn't, it doesn't give you, when it comes to the purpose of human creation, it doesn't like give you allegories and nice stories, like tries to figure you know, like stories and just, you know, you have to kind of derive it from a complex mm. philosophical principle. It's very, very, very clear. Okay. Mm. Chapter 44, it states, and we created not the heavens and the earth and all that is between them in sport. We created them not but for an eternal purpose, but most of them understand not. And right. in other verses, it explains chapter 51, verse 57. And I have not created the jinn and men, but that they should worship me. Hmm. I desire of them no provision, neither do I desire that they should feed me. Hmm. Surely it is Allah himself who is the great sustainer, the Lord of power, the strong. Ah, wonderful, wonderful verse. And it's a beautiful, take, taking them together, I think, they're very nice because the first one, it says that there is an eternal purpose, but most people do not understand what that eternal purpose is. Yeah. And that the purpose of the heavens and the earth and its creation is not for sport. It's not a play. Yeah, which is kind of, you know, he was basically talking about playing. Yeah. In the, in, the, in his original humanist video, he was talking about, you know, do a bit of sculpture, do a bit of gardening, <laughs> maybe some frisbee, and you'll be golden. <laughs> yeah, but, and then the second verse, the quote, I you know, quote, I gave, which is, I've not created the jinn and men, but that they should worship me. It's again one of these, I love these kinds of phrases that God uses in the Quran because they are the strongest grammatical construction yeah, yeah, yeah. for a particular purpose. So if you said, if God said, I've created the jinn and men that they should worship me, you might think, okay, well, they, they, that's our purpose, but our purpose could also be other things, hmm. right? Our purpose could also be gardening. It could also be this because, yeah, that's one of our purposes to worship God, yeah. but then there could be other purposes because the verse would just say, I've created jinn and men that they should worship me. Yeah. But this, the way it's actually phrased is much more powerful. This is, I have not created created the jinn and men except that they should worship me hmm. that there is an exclusion of all else yeah. besides the the purpose that god gives in the same way that the credo of islam is la ilaha illallah la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah there is none worthy of worship except god yeah um again it's not that there is only one god it's that there is nothing except god yeah so and then it goes on to say, I desire them no provision, nor that I, do I desire that they should feed me. You know, the first verse might give the person an impression that God needs us. Hmm. That actually the reason for all this is because God wants some adoration yeah. because he's insecure, you know, that he, he just needs this kind of devotion to him. Hmm. But I mean, maybe you could explain what the meaning of worship is then and, and actually what the fundamental purpose of life is. Well, there's a very beautiful... Um uh, saying of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, which he reported was, was revealed to him, where God said that I was a hidden treasure and I desired to be known, so I created the creation. 
And uh, I remember you pointed out something very beautiful to me, which is that, you know, it, if God had a need, he also fulfilled it himself because he he was able to, because the, the criticism may be, well, God therefore needs us. Yeah. But actually he doesn't need us because he, he fulfilled his need <laughs> through yeah. creating us. Yeah, exactly. And in doing so, he exercised his mercy because we didn't exist and now we exist and we're able to find spiritual fulfillment in relationship with God and also enjoy his, uh, his creation in the next life we'll enjoy um, in the afterlife and the nearness to, to him, to God himself. Mm. So like, it's all kind of pure mercy and bounty that comes from God mm. in fulfilling his own purpose. Mm. Now, abd, you know, worship in the mm. Islamic sense, uh, doesn't just mean, um, physical worship. In fact, physical worship, as we understand it, kind of the, the prescribed prayers, that is a, um, in a sense, it's, a, it's an ark or a ship for the for the underlying spirit, which is uh, a way of refining yourself in a way that is pleasing to God, and whereby God will then come and reach you and develop your relation, His relationship with you. Yeah. So it's basically just a vessel. Worship, physical worship that we do, is a vessel for us to to meet God. Yeah, but it's absolutely necessary because, you know, this is something that the second Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in this book, I've just finished reading Beacon of Youth, points out, hmm. which is that the reason, for example, that Christianity has no real f- fundamental, um, what, what will, why churches are being hollowed out from Christians, hmm. why Christians... Being brought up by Muslims, don't why, 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 why Christians, yeah. So why Christians, for example, even if they, they just have to turn up once a week hmm. to do their worship and they can't even do that. Whereas hmm. Muslims are filling mosques five days, or five, five times a day often, hmm. right? Multiple times there, or at least every Muslim should, you know, generally tends to go to the mosque at least once a day. So, you know, the reason is, is because they don't have a physical form of worship hmm. because in rejection of the Jew, Jew, um, Jewish teaching yeah. and the um, the extremism of the Jews at the time of Jesus's appearance, which is that they emphasize the physicality and the ritual so much, uh, they understood Jesus's message of uh, focusing on the inner spirit as a rejection of entirely the ritual or entirely the physical movements hmm. and as a result the christians have discarded all kinds of concept of uh, a prescribed physical motion and the consequence of that is is that if you don't have to physically do something hmm. eventually you stop doing the inner spiritual turning to god as well yeah because the physical motion actually preserved hmm. it preserved the opportunity for you to turn to god in your spirit yeah. every muslim has this experience that we will go and we'll go to the mosque and pray and we won't necessarily we, we might, or, or at home, and we might finish our prayer and feel like, oh, well, I didn't really do that as well as I could. Hmm. Right? I didn't really focus on God as well as I could. But it provided you the opportunity hmm. to do so. And the next time you then do it again, the physical worship, it provides you a fresh opportunity to perfect your worship. Yeah. But if you don't even have the physical prescribed postures, hmm. you don't have the safeguard. You don't have the guardian of your worship. Hmm. It's gone. Hmm. Uh, and so the physical worship is fundamentally n- necessary. And this is why I think, you know, a lot of Christians, they kind of deride physical worship. They think of it as kind of like, you know, uh, beneath them. Yeah. They're more philosophically enlightened, hmm. right? That they kind of can just turn to God and have like a, a, a spiritual reconnection with God. Yeah. And they fail to appreciate that the, the, that the soul is tied to the body hmm. and the body uh, determines the motions of the soul. Yeah. You know, so when you walk humbly, you feel humble. When you walk arrogantly, you feel arrogant. When you laugh, you feel happy. When you pretend to weep, you feel sad. And the Quran talks about this, says walk, walk on the earth humbly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and again, this book, Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, explained this beautifully, that the physical postures are there to actually create the inner change and turn towards God so that when we kneel or prostrate, 
we are kneeling and our soul kneels and prostrates to God. The funny thing is, is that I think the Christians in a sense have, have recognized this with the evangelical movement. So they have then kind of put back in kind of created, fabricated rituals through music yeah. and through all of their kind of songs and dances and all this. Because I think they maybe recognize there needs to be something there that's substantial, which, you know, you can gather people for and there can be some kind of movement. Yeah. Unfortunately, that creates a kind of artificial heat, yeah. which is not real spiritual connection. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, but it's interesting that they, that they have potentially recognized that, but you know, worship in Islam is, is, you know, this is what we've been talking about is prayer yeah. and the physical form of prayer and how it contains the spiritual prayer, but worship also has other aspects. So, you know, when you truly love God and you truly believe that God is beautiful, then you also try and adopt the attributes of God in yourself. Hmm. Right. And you actually try and reflect those qualities. Hmm. And in a sense, that is, that is an aspect of worship. It's a part of worship when you truly try and become like, uh, try and reflect God's attributes in yourself to whatever degree that you can. Yeah. And in fact, in, in a way kind of, all of the things in in uh, in the commandments of God, if you follow them, they can be they can be a type of worship in themselves because you're submitting them you're submitting yourself and your entire character to God in that. So worship is actually something which is totally expansive in Islam. It is not just the five daily prayers, although that they are so substantial. It is something which can extend beyond those five daily prayers into actually everything that you do in your life. Because if you do it with the intention of pleasing God and of furthering your relationship with God, then it becomes a means of, 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 of connecting to God, which is the essence of worship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, if you look at Surah Al-Baqarah, the second chapter of the Quran, and it describes the qualities of a believer at the beginning of it, um, I believe it's the second quality it describes. I may have got that wrong, but it says that, you know, those who establish prayer and then it goes on to say and spend out of that which we have bestowed upon them. Hmm. The key point here is that it, it's not that people always take that to mean charity, hmm. that they're bestowing, that they're spending out of that which God has bestowed upon them in terms of money. Yeah. Actually, it doesn't say money. It says that which we have bestowed on them, which means intellect, emotion, feeling, yeah. uh, time, uh, all, all these kinds of things. Uh, they're all very important, fundamentally important, and and actually God expects you to spend out of all of them, yeah, um, for His sake. So it, it, Islam doesn't require word that, and that is all part of your worship, yeah. So it's it's not just the physical worship; it's actually every aspect of your life attains a sense of meaning and purpose, um, because it is all becomes devoted to the one who created you, and that devotion manifests as seeking to benefit His creation fundamentally. And the Quran also talks about that when it says, "Never shall you attain to righteousness until you spend out of that which you love." Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, there's one thing I just want to quickly clarify before we move on, which is that we talked about in this verse where it says "men and jinn." What is just briefly? What is what is this jinn thing? Does that mean ghosts? What does that mean here? A, a, a Jinn is, you know, misunderstood term uh, by Muslims broadly, and and the honest answer is is that um, Sunni Muslims, for example, consider jinn to be, you know, energy spirits, hmm. you know, that are um, some are good, some are bad, paranormal, basically. Paranormal. Yeah. They basically describe them as paranormal phenomena. There's no reason to do so. The Ahmadiyya Muslim perspective is pretty straightforward. Jinn simply means that the root of word 
from of which jinn is derived as an Arabic word which means hidden, that which is hidden. Hmm. So that's why you get Jannah, for example. Jannah is described as that which is hidden because it's described as the treetops. You cannot see the ground yeah. and the soil from that the... That which is hidden, that which is covered. Right, Majnun exactly. means madness. Majnun means madness. Covering of faculties. Exactly, because madness covers the faculty of reason. Majnun is from the same word. And then you also have the fact that you have, um, uh, you know, women are also described in the Quran as jinn. Uh, not in the Quran, in Arabic literature as jinn because they are hidden, they're veiled from society. Hmm. typically because they wear the veil um so jinn simply means that which is hidden and and in terms of unseen unseen so it refers to that class of people who are unseen now who are the class of people who are unseen the queen celebrities uh, extremely wealthy people who are well, the, the real unseen are just the super rich that you don't see. You don't see. <laughs> you don't exactly. know their name. So the Quran addresses the shareholders of banks. Co- correct, because <laughs> you know people don't. People think of them as they, they're actually uh, they are they are in social terms a separate category. Yeah, you know they live in a different planet because they le- live in a different planet because they have unlimited wealth. They can do what they want. They want to be in Dubai one day and they want to be in Canada the next day. They can just go on their private jet and move. Yeah, right. They they can eat what they want. They can live the kind of lifestyle that they want entirely mm. they are not constrained mm. you know even by some simple things as tax laws yeah. you know by tax jurisdictions so the quran recognizes that there is a class of people who are who are not the the hoi polloi the ordinary people yeah exactly so jinn and ins ins means the man the, mm. the ordinary common man um it's important also because um idea god often uh uh the people among the ins take people amongst the jinn to be their gods, Hmm. to be their protectors in society. Yeah. Um, And so God is actually making, drawing a point, which is that he is the God of the jinn as well. Yeah. You know, the jinn ain't on a class with him. Yeah. Okay. The jinn are created beings just like the ins, the men. So that's simple. I wanted to read another verse, if that's okay, about the nature of this life. Can I just also say jinn also therefore covers all, other forms of creation which we may not know about or you know in a different planets or whatever but yeah. it is it is expansive but for the primary application of the quran which is to to mankind it means the people that you see and the people uh and uh, is the people that you do see yeah absolutely um so there's this verse another verse of the quran which kind of it summarizes why don't you read it well you've got it there as well well, I mean, uh, this is, I think, something which is, you know, I think Stephen Fry has experienced this. Because if you think about kind of the, the riches which he has accumulated and the pride that which he, which he's, which he, which he has to a degree for being such a, a big person in society, uh, he's also seen that it's, it's kind of, um, it's dry. There's nothing real there. So the Quran talks about this in chapter 18 and says, And set forth for them the similitude of the life of this world. It is like the water which we send down from the sky, and the vegetation of the earth is mingled with it. And then it becomes dry grass, broken into pieces, which the winds scatter, and Allah has full power over everything. So the life of this world is like the water which we send from the sky, and veg- mixes with the vegetation, the crops, then it becomes dry grass broken into pieces and the wind scatter it, which is a very beautiful kind of description of, uh, of, of the life that we lead. You know, people are famous in one, two generations, and then they're essentially forgotten apart from a few fans for maybe another two generations. Then they're basically lost to history. Mm. All of their kind of riches eventually blow. Many of them kind of lose them. They blow away. They're tied up in divorces or inheritance, you know, whatever it is, they can lose their money. And they have, they experience these highs and lows, which are trials from God and themselves. But the beautiful thing about a connection and a, and a real relationship with God is that it's with you wherever you are. And you could be poor man living in a hut, 
and you can have that uh, and you'll be richer beyond, you know, Stephen Fry. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, potentially you could argue the good, the best position to be in life is if you have that, that, that relationship with God and you also have, you know, um, the goods of this world, Yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing per se wrong with that, but it becomes meaningless unless it's, unless it's actually part of a spiritual package. Well, I would say that the key point here is that the, the similitude of the life of this world, it applies to when the world is not utilized for a higher purpose. Hmm. So, you know, we don't believe that a person who use, takes money and then uses it in the way which pleases God, hmm. that doesn't become dry grass, which becomes scattered. Yeah, that becomes an action which fulfills its purpose. Yeah. Right. So there's a very, I love this. You pass the trial. Yeah. I love this particular hadith of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. He saw a goat and um, it had been sacrificed and all the meat was taken from it. And the only meat, the only part of the goat that was left was the head. Hmm. And he walked by it and he said to his companions, everything is saved except the head. <laughs> yeah. you know, so I, I love that because it's an inversion. Yeah. Dependent on a view which looks at it through the purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So for, for, from, the, from the view of, the, of, the, of a worldly stance, everything was lost except the head. Yeah, yeah. From the spiritual perspective, everything was saved except the head because yeah. the purpose was fulfilled for that animal. Yeah. Right. So that's a wonderful. <laughs> so much wisdom in that. So much people. wisdom. You could just <laughs> ponder it for days, and you just you'd still be getting more pieces out of it. Well, I mean, how do we apply that to our own lives then? <coughs> so you know, you've got your job, you've got your money, you've got your time, you've got your family, relationships, whatever it is. How do you apply that if you're if you're a believer? What does that What does that mean to you? How do you How do you live that life then? I think that you always have to make explicitly every intention uh, has to be for the sake of God. Even if it be your job, even if it be making money, yeah. you have to be thinking about what is it, what am I going to do with this money? And you have to say to God, I'm going to do this and this and this with it. Hmm. Because if you don't fill it with an intention for God, your ego will fill it and you'll fill it quickly. Nature abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum and your, your own uh, sense of self will fill um, that the intention for which you're doing something. Hmm. So if one is trying to seek the world, one has to be very careful how on, how, how you do it, I think. Uh, mm. You have to approach it with a great sense of caution and, and you have to be explicit in your mind as to why you're doing it and for what purpose is it going to serve you. Because in reality, from the spiritual perspective, it is better to not have wealth, uh, for example, um, if one isn't going to actually use it in the right way because it's going to become a burden on your neck on the day of judgment as to how you, how you discharge this duty. Yeah. How does that relate to Zagat and the name Zagat? So, you, why don't you explain? Okay, so, I mean, I was just thinking that zakat is a... Well, what uh, is zakat for the ordinary... Zakat is a... Um, you may not know. Zakat is a... Um, it's a tax, essentially. on It's a marginal wealth tax, that is, that Muslims are supposed to pay. Mm. And it's money which goes to the poor and the people in difficulty in society. Yeah. And it was typically levied at 2.5% on kind of wealth that was unused over a certain amount that you need to survive on. So, you can understand today as a marginal wealth tax, essentially. And it's called zakat, which essentially comes from the, the root of the word is purification. It's this idea of when you purify something. So the tax which, which God has said you should pay on your wealth, he has told you why you do it in the name itself of the practice. Hmm. That this is something whereby you can actually purify your wealth and whereby if you give this portion, which actually ultimately isn't that much, for the sake of God, it is something which can purify the whole. 
right? Yeah. This this is essentially the the way of purifying the whole thing. Hmm. Um, and in a way, you know, what you're talking about is you can pay zakat on everything in your life through your intentions and how you intend to use it and how you do use it. Yeah. You know, do you spend your time, at least a portion of your time, you know, remembering God or for the sake of creation. And if you do so, then other aspects of your time will be blessed. And you can probably apply that to every as different yeah. part of your life. Yeah. And that is the kind of the beauty of the spiritual outlook is that it is something which pervades everything in your life and everything suddenly then becomes imbued and enriched with meaning. Yeah. Whereas if you're an atheist, and we've talked about this before, if you're an atheist, that meaninglessness, which your outlook, you know, which is inherent in the atheistic outlook, just pervades over everything and, and it just washes over everything such that anything that you do no matter how good you think it is no matter how nice you, you think it is no matter what you think it will bring you it's ultimately meaningless i remember the quran talks about that he has created god has created us for an eternal purpose yeah it's not a limited purpose he specifies yeah. it's not for sport because sport is all limited yeah this is an eternal purpose and that purpose is to worship god yeah. and to actually have a relationship with god and you do that through explicit worship and also through treating the rest of mankind and the creation of god in a, in a, in a goodly manner yeah. So the second Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he kind of uh, refers to this emotion that Stephen Fry has mm. outlined in the first video we played. I wonder if you want to. Yeah. So that. I mean, uh, no, I wouldn't say this. This is this. You gotta go for it. Okay. So he says, "Is in the the periodical The Muslim Sunrise from 1953." Hmm. Good find, Omar. <laughs> um, he Not sure I found it originally, but okay. He, write, it. he writes, no doubt God gives, and it's really applicable to Stephen Fry, which is why it's relevant. Hmm. It says, no doubt God gives some people a goodly share of concentration of mind. Hmm. These people strive to attain various objects, political, educational, and cultural. And as a result of continuous efforts, they gain success in their objectives and attain to peace of mind as well. But this peace of mind can be compared to the pleasure which children derive when they get toys. They get this peace of mind not by the achievement of the high objects of their life, but by forgetting them. They fall victims to the intellectual to intellectual opium. Their brains feed intellectual opium to them. They do not. Ha they do have pain, but cannot feel it. Feel it. Yeah, which is just incredible. I, I just want to. I just want to read that last bit again. So they they get this peace of mind not by the achievement of the high objects of their life, but by forgetting them. They fall victims to this o o intellectual opium, so they have the pain, but they cannot feel it. Which I think is a warning to intellectual people in particular, because intellectual people can take pride in their intellectual um, achievements and their intellectual aspirations. And in a way, they've just got more advanced forms of toys of everyone else. If you're a bit of a, what's the word? Dullard, is that a word? Shows I'm not in that class, clearly. You know, if you're someone who's not particularly smart and you're kind of, you know, impressed by shiny things, maybe you'll go chasing those shiny things and you'll be trying to get the latest car or the latest phone. And that's your kind of, well, that's, that you think may be the, the purpose of your life. And the intellectual person may look down on that and say, I'm going to figure out, you know, what is personal identity? That that's really, that's my thing. That's going to be my, that's going to be what I contribute to this world. Um, but if that is kind of your, your purpose alone, then it is essentially just a sophisticated toy, which you're, which you're toying with yeah. if you're actually divorced from real truth. Um, so it's kind of a warning, I think, to intellectual people not to fall prey to that because ultimately, like Stephen Fry is actually saying, 
you know, and so many intellectuals, so many philosophers have had this experience. Many have ended up killing themselves despite their apparent intellectual achievements because they realize it's still meaningless. Mm. Like they, they, they figure out, they believe so much and they, they, they do their best to get to what they think is the truth of things. Obviously they cannot because their whole, whole outlook is skewed, but they do make intellectual progress in, in various ways, great scientists. And they, they still, they're still just as unhappy as the person who, you know, spent his whole life trying to get a Ferrari and then got a Ferrari and realized, oh, okay, it's just a Ferrari. It's not, it, was, not it was Matt more. Damon, I think, who said it really nicely about his Oscar. Do you, I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, thing. yeah. He said, he said, he got his Oscar, he was like 19 for uh, Goodwill Hunting. And he said, thank God I didn't, I think he was, uh, he, I think he put it in his toilet or something. And he said, you know, uh, he's looking at it and he said later to his mum, thank God I didn't spend my whole my life chasing this because it's just a prize. You know, the high of the winning it goes down, you get off stage, you go to the after party, you come home, you got the prize. And then the next day you carry on living your life. Yeah. You know, the effects of these things wane. Yeah. Um, so whoever you are in society, it doesn't matter because we've all been created by God and our purpose is actually all the same. Yeah. And if you've been blessed with intellect, then don't make that blessing into a trial for yourself and mm. distract yourself, but use it for the sake of, of God's creation and use it to advance your relationship or to, to understand God better so that you can advance your relationship with him. Yeah. I mean, this is the problem. I mean, for, especially for intellectual people, they find it much harder sometimes to f come to God because it becomes an idol for them. They, their own intellect. Their own intellect becomes yeah. an idol for them. And they, they can't get, because all around them, they see that they are superior to others. Yeah. Yeah. They find it <laughs> impossible to recognize the fact that their superiority over others is like a person who has three pennies compared to one who has one penny. <laughs> Look yeah. before a king who has an infinite treasure. Yeah. You know, you don't go to the king with who has infinite treasure and start boasting of the fact that you have three <laughs> pennies and, and your mate's got one. Yeah, yeah. Because you look like a moron, <laughs> right? Because, you know, it's a meaningless thing to even talk about. Yeah, yeah. But, but this is, people are so wrapped up in their comparison with other human beings, they forget that we're all equal before God. You yeah. know, your intellect compared to somebody else is, is like the intellect of a fly compared to that of an ant. Yeah. <laughs> to a human. Yeah. A, a greater difference. Yeah. So it's actually come born out of a failure to recognize the tr the true reality of God. Now, and, and, and if you reflect, this is one of the blessings of science and, and modern advancement, that if you really reflect and do a little bit of learning about how intricate basic things in the universe are, mm. you know, how complex, simple organism structures are. Well, you you're an ITU doctor. I mean, you must have learned tons of this for physiology. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you did a medical degree as well. So, I mean, uh, but you don't need to be a, you don't need to be a medic. You don't yeah. need to have studied a degree in human physiology yeah. to be able to look up the fact that this little fly that's flying around in my face is actually extraordinarily complex. <laughs> and quite annoying. <laughs> and quite annoying. Drosophilia. Drosophilia! <laughs> um, the basis of like the whole of human bio biological <laughs> advancements, drosophilia. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you don't have to be some great intellectual who's done degrees in this. Mm. You know, it is so complex um, biological organisms that when you then really try and perceive how complex and how advanced and how beyond of beyond that being must have been who created all this hmm. it serves as a fantastic way a guidepost but it doesn't serve as a guidepost for Stephen Fry for some reason. Mm. Maybe we'll give it another 10 years and he'll have evolved a bit further and he'll start oh, to Oh, maybe he'll join us in the, in the studio, God willing. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Fry, you are most welcome to <laughs> join us in the studio. We'd love to have you. We have another camera. We could put you right there. And we we can get, even get a chair. We can even get a chair for you. <laughs> I'm sure we can get that in the budget. Yeah. No, we, we, we've got we've got chairs over there. We've got it all sorted. Just come over. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, and, and there's something else which strikes me, which I think is... Uh, 
uh, a problem of intellectual people is that I think when they when they see the people rushing to prayer, they think they're quite simple. And some of them may well be quite simple people, <laughs> but actually they've gone further than the great intellectuals if they recognize God. Yeah. Because they recognize that actually the truth is fairly simple. Yeah, obviously we haven't been created for no purpose. Yeah. Obviously there's a reason we're here. And yeah, probably all the religions of all the major cultures, you know, they're probably roughly right. And you know, <laughs> I'm actually going to, you know, devote myself to this, even if it's just hedging my bets, yeah. you know, rather than devote myself to memorizing QI or something. But of course, nobody's actually provided that answer to Stephen Fry. No, yeah, no, no one except for everyone. Of course, no one apart everyone from, in history, essentially. Yeah, every single human, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, he's a person of immense intellect and, you know, from a kind of academic standpoint and a person of immense historical knowledge, undoubtedly. Yeah. You know, he should know better than anybody else Yeah, um, what the lessons of history are and what the different cultures of history teach us. Um, there's a beautiful Quranic verse which ties this question of purpose together with the question of suffering. Mm. Uh, which is, you know, pretty much the only argument atheists actually have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was wondering no, no, if you... Could, go for it. You sure? Okay, so the Quranic verse, chapter 2, verse 156 to 157, it states, and we will try you with something of fear and hunger. So this is God speaking to humans. Mm. And we will try you with something of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits of labor. Mm. But give glad tidings to those who patiently persevere, who, when a misfortune overtakes them, say, surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. So how does this tie into the question of purpose and, and what's its role? Well, because I think if you think about, you know, the the opening line of that about we, we will try with something of, was it fruits and, and we will try with something of fear and hunger. So fear of losing things, hunger of not actually having those things and the loss of wealth, the provision that you have. To get things. Yeah, lives. So the lives of those that you love and also your faculty of life and your health and the fruits of your labor. Mm. That all these things which Stephen Fry has been talking about, that these are things which people try and get and they realize that they're nothing ultimately. These are the things that ultimately also are things that are taken away from you. Inevitably, whoever you are in this world, mm. you're going to have trials, you're going to have suffering, you're going to have difficulties. You're not, no one is immune to this. You know, even just aging, you're going to have the problems of aging. You have your parents aging and dying and you're going to have relationships that break down and you're going to have, you know, wealth that, that, that fades away. No one is immune to this. And God is saying that we will try you. No matter who you are, you will be tried via these things which you take as your God. <coughs> but give glad tidings to those who are patient, to those who are steadfast. And these are those who, when a misfortune overtakes them, they say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajun. This is what Muslims say when someone dies. And it means, surely to God do we belong and to him shall we return. And the reason why we have been instructed to say this is because when we lose something and when we suffer, it reminds us that that thing is not eternal. That thing was always transient. And to have, we should never put ourselves fully in that transient thing. Hmm. Rather, that thing was also came from God and was the creation of God. And God is the one who is eternal. Hmm. So it's a reminder that don't put yourself in these temporary things. And that we shall return to God. Yeah, don't. Yeah, absolutely. We shall return. We to are God one of those well. things. Absolutely. That's going to go as well. Well, we have come from God yeah. and we are going to go back to God and everything in our life has come from God and goes back to God. Mm. So we're going to come here, things can come into our lives and go back to God, <laughs> they're going to return and then we're going to go back. So ultimately... And we will be one of those trials for somebody else who loves us. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. And ultimately the prayer that we're taught to, you know, uh, to say reminds us of that, that we should only attach ourselves truly 
in our heart of hearts to God, because he is the only one that will actually be there forever. That is the only eternal source of stability and joy mm. is your relationship with God. Mm. Um, so, you know, what Stephen Fry was talking about kind of is he's experienced this. Yeah. He's experienced this. Yeah. But the, the step which he hasn't taken, it seems, is that he hasn't said, okay, well, all of this stuff isn't actually he has said all of this stuff isn't my purpose but he hasn't recognized that this should also this should then take you to that which is eternal yeah the great beautiful beyond yeah he knows what it is i think he knows what it is because he can't not because he's intellectually too smart not to know what the no, answer he, is no, but no, he's he, in denial about it so he no, doesn't no, he's recognize smart, it. he's smart enough to can to, to hide it from his from himself yeah well everyone knows like you said that it's the Quran is a, a vicar it's we know it in our heart of hearts even if you haven't got any degrees in your probably deaf and dumb you probably you probably recognize something there yeah 